One of the most heart-wrenching stories that I have read in a very long time concerned John Gibson. He was a pastor and a very popular professor at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. But he was exposed by hackers of the adulterous website, Ashley Madison. Uh, Tragically, John Gibson had been living a double life. Unable to face his embarrassment and his shame, he committed suicide. His wife found a suicide note. And this is what she said. He talked about depression. He talked about having his name on there. And he said he was very, just very, very sorry. He had struggled with depression and sex addiction, sex addiction before in their 30-year marriage. She said, what we know about him is that he poured his life into other people, and he offered grace and mercy and forgiveness to everyone else, but somehow he couldn't extend that to himself. She said, it wasn't so bad that we wouldn't have forgiven it. And so many people have said that to us. But for John, it carried such a shame. Three thoughts came to my mind when I read that story. One, what an incredible wife that she would have been willing to forgive him. She really loved him. Second, how terribly sad that he could not accept her forgiveness and continue on. Third thought, if a human being could forgive like that, how much more Jesus Christ. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. And there is no sinner that cannot be restored. This morning we are going to look at one of the most tender episodes of that wonderful truth as we continue today in our Last Supper series and we come to the second part of Peter's Fall and Rise. Now last Sunday's sermon was very, very hard, but it was very, very needed. It is difficult to preach on why Christians fail, and you may remember that we saw three reasons why Peter failed. Spiritual overconfidence, serious disregard of warnings, and softening the power of temptation. But now today, as we come to the restoration, this sermon is much easier to preach because it is how Jesus restores sinners. And no matter how far we have fallen, Jesus can and will still lift us up. And it is never hopeless when you have a Savior like Jesus. Uh, I want you to turn with me to John 21 this morning in your Bibles. And as we turn there, let me just lead us for a brief moment in prayer. And then we'll look together at how Jesus so wonderfully restores. 
Blessed Father, all of us today need the touch of Jesus on our lives. We all know and have experienced sin and failure. And I'm very conscious today, Father, of someone who may feel very much as though they have failed in a way that has just devastated their lives. And Lord, I pray today that in a new and fresh way, we will see the amazing heart of Jesus Christ. I pray that seeing that heart, you will extend tremendous hope. I pray that not a person here today will believe that there is no use continuing on. And I pray for somebody perhaps who has never experienced the salvation of Christ, that today might be that day they come to Him. So Lord, lead us now to Your feet. Help us to see You in a wonderful way. For Jesus' sake, amen. Look with me at John 21. Let's begin at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, this is after Jesus' resurrection, and he meets the disciples on the seashore of Galilee. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, here this morning, we see the first way that Jesus restores us when we have fallen. And that is that guilt gives way to forgiveness. Now, the first thing we notice in this scene is that Jesus kept asking Peter the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, there are two very critical reasons for this. Uh, The first critical reason is because those three questions repeated three times caused Peter grief in verse 17. Uh, What's interesting about that word grief is it is in the passive voice, and it means to be grieved, it means to be made sorry, to be sorry, to be sorrowful. Now what this does is it leads us back to the rooster crowing back in chapter 18, and the timing of Jesus' departure from the trial that he was at in the high priest's home. Now, Jesus had a very special reason for mentioning the rooster crowing to Peter after he had denied him for the third time. It was designed by our Lord to be an aid bringing Peter to repentance. When the rooster crowed, Peter would hear that and he would remember what Jesus had predicted about him. 
At the very same time, Luke tells us that as Jesus was being led out of his trial uh, to uh, Pilate's hall where he would be whipped and beaten and ultimately led off to crucifixion, as he led out, he saw Peter and he looked directly at him. Uh, the Dutch-Danish uh, master, uh, Karl Bloch, has given us a very, very famous painting of this incident. He has captured it for us in just a very, very wonderful way. These two actions, the rooster crowing, And Jesus, looking right at Peter, broke him. And you know what happened? He went out and he wept bitter tears of repentance. Now as we come to chapter 21 and Jesus says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter is grieved that he has asked him that question three times. We are reminded of his broken Bitter tears of repentance. Let me ask you this morning, why was it needful for Peter to be grieved? Well, there's a very important answer. Without sorrow over sin, there can be no true repentance. You see, many people are sorry over the consequences of their sin, but they are not sorry over the sin itself. In fact, the Bible calls that kind of sorrow worldly sorrow because it never leads to true repentance or heartfelt change. Do you know this is the difference between Judas and Peter? Judas was sorry over the consequences of his sin. He said, I betrayed innocent blood. He was sorry over the consequences. But Peter was sorry over the sin itself. And that is always, always very critical. I wonder this morning if you would read with me a very, very important verse from Psalm 51 and verse 17. Join me in reading what David said as he confessed his own sins. Would you read this with me? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do you know that last phrase, you will not despise, is a figure of speech? It is called tapenosis, or demeaning. And tapenosis is where you actually increase something By lessening it. So that when God says, He will not despise a broken and a contrite heart over sin, what He means is, He will graciously accept it. He will welcome it. God will delight in it. You see, God actually delights in this because brokenness and a contrite heart reveals a change, and that change leads to forgiveness and restoration. 
The person who is broken over sin as sin has humbled themselves before the Lord and in that humbling position they are now ready to receive the forgiveness of God. Now that leads to a second critical reason why Jesus asked three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's because the three questions matched the three denials. I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not one of his disciples with cursing and oaths and swearing. Now Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know all things. You see, Peter did actually love Jesus. And he acknowledged it in these three affirmations that erased his three denials. Now all of us know that Peter bragged that he loved Jesus far more than all the other disciples. In fact, in verse 15 when Peter says, Do you love me more than these? He's talking about the other disciples. Peter, do you really love me more than, than, than they love me? Peter bragged that he did. Now, you remember what happened very, very clearly. They fled. But Peter, he did far more. Peter, he lied three different times. He uh, gave an oath that what he believed was, was not true. And then you may recall that he also, in his uh, denials, uh, broke his promise, and ultimately he rejected Jesus. And so multiple times he did far worse than the other disciples. Now imagine what he felt like. He felt like he was a total hypocrite. That he could never say again, I love Jesus. He had no confidence in his relationship with the Lord. But here is such an important lesson for us. Despite our failures, Jesus knows that as a believer, we really do truly love him. When we betrayed our master, we feel like a hypocrite who cannot say that we love the Lord. But that is actually not so. Our failure does not mean that we are not committed to Jesus and that that commitment is not precious to Him. And so what Jesus does is He graciously forgives us and He wants us to forgive ourselves and to reaffirm our love to Him because that's the way healing can come. And so you see how wonderful this works. We are broken and sorrowful over our wrong. We confess that wrong to the Lord and we turn from it. He forgives us of it. Being forgiven, once again, we affirm our love to Jesus. And in that affirmation, healing begins to take place. Do you know without this, Peter would have faded away into oblivion? He would have been ashamed to ever show his face again. 
But what do we have today? Today we name junkyard dogs Judas, and we name our sons Peter. Peter today is a name of honor. And just as he was able to hold his high head high once again, so every forgiven child of God can hold their head high once again. Because Jesus forgives. I've been reading a very interesting book recently. It is entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. It is written by a professor by the name of Ed Welch at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. He does a lot of counseling. And as he opens up chapter 10, he has this very wonderful thing to say. Listen to what he says. Don't say, how could God forgive me for that? Whatever that is. Don't think that God's forgiveness is a begrudging forgiveness and with that thought deny some of God's glorious love. And don't think that God's promises are only for other people. If this is how you are thinking, you must realize that your own sins, no matter how big, are not bigger than God's pleasure in forgiveness. You believe our God? The very God who hates the sin that we do is a God who takes pleasure in forgiving that sin. That's our God. And the way that Jesus restores is guilt gives way to forgiveness. All God's people this morning said, Amen. Now second, as we continue in this story, we see a second way that Jesus restores. And that is that failure gives way to usefulness. Failure gives way to usefulness. At the beginning of this chapter, Peter had gone back fishing. You go back and read verse 3, and he said to his fellow disciples, "Uh, let's go back fishing, and they went with him. Now that was not wrong, but it was dangerous. You see, Jesus had called Peter and the other apostles to more than fishing. He had called them to ministry. And you may remember that they left all of their nets and everything behind to follow the Lord Jesus as fishers of men. Peter's failure now has not rescinded that call. And so what Jesus has to do is he has to remind Peter, Peter, I still have a job for you to do. Now, it is very interesting. Right next to Jesus' three questions, there are three commands. Look at them in verse 15, 16, and 17. The first one is feed my lambs. The second one is tend my sheep. And the third one is feed my sheep. Now sheep here is a general word for all believers, God's complete flock. Lambs is a reference to new believers, new Christians. So here Jesus is referring to the total flock, 
uh, God's entire group of people. Uh, The word feed is the nourishing job of a shepherd, and the word tend means the total guardianship that a shepherd exercises. Now you put these three commands together, and here's what's happening. Jesus was reaffirming Peter's responsibilities as an apostle, as an elder, and a guide in the church. He was saying to Peter, I am restoring you to usefulness, and from the newest believer to the oldest saint, you are going to shepherd and guide the church. Do you know Peter got the message because he's passed on the same instructions to elders today? Look with me in your Bibles for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want you to notice this amazing connection. What Peter says to elders and church leaders today is essentially the very same thing that Jesus said to him when he restored him. Please look at these words. And notice what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, notice what Peter says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, did you notice that Peter calls himself a fellow elder? By this time, many years later, he had gotten the message and had been restored to usefulness. How encouraging this is for us. We are reading the instructions of somebody who failed Jesus horribly and yet was restored. Failure does not mean we can no longer be useful to the Lord. Now let me hasten to add this this morning. Sometimes there are consequences that limit the things that we now can do. Sometimes our example has been so damaged that there is a limit upon the things that we can do in service to the Lord. Moses could not enter the promised land because of his failure, yet Moses was thoroughly forgiven. And there are times in the restoration that we may not be able to serve Jesus in the same ministries that we had before. But here's the wonderful, wonderful news. God can still use us if we will let Him determine where and let Him determine how. The restoration that comes is so complete and thorough 
that even though we may not serve in the way we did before, God can still use us if we will let Him determine where and determine how. Now this leads to a third way that Jesus restores. Thirdly, falling gives way to following. Falling gives way to following. Would you pick it up with me at verse 18? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Peter, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that we know as John, following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, I love how this story ends, because Jesus' original call to Peter was to follow me. Follow here is a very interesting phrase, follow me. It is a word that means companion. It refers to someone going the same way as someone else to learn from them and to become like them. Let me say that again. The word follow here that Jesus renews to Peter twice, follow me. It is a word that means to be a companion. And it refers to someone going the same way to learn from and to be like. When I was in my early 20s, I was at a big seminar in Grand Rapids. The leader of that seminar said the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to become Christ-like. Now, I knew that. I knew that the Bible says the reason we're all following Jesus is because we have one goal, and that is to become like Christ. But then this leader of this seminar at the Van Anne Arena in Grand Rapids, where there were thousands gathered, said this, No matter how great we fail, that goal still remains before us. Now that was new to me. Yes, I knew that the ultimate goal of being following Christ is to be like Him. But I had never thought that what that means is, no matter how great the failure, that goal always remains before us. 
That is absolutely true. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. And I want you to see this in Scripture in verses 28 and 29. Because this is such a very, very significant truth. Romans 8. And notice with me 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, what is the good? We'll look at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So notice verse 29 is telling us what the good is that God is working all things together for. It is the ultimate goal that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. Now one of the questions that we all have to ask is what is included in the all things that God is working towards this goal? And there are three answers to that question. First of all, it is the suffering that we go through in life, our trials. That's a part of the all things. Secondly, it's the sins of others against us that they do in wronging us. That's a part of the all things. And then here's the question, are our own sins a part of the all things? And the answer is yes, with a qualified reason. If repented of and forsaken, then our own sins, are a part of the all things and if learned from can help us in our renewed journey to be like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, can I say to you today, no believer ever falls so far that he or she cannot follow Jesus again to become like Him? No believer can ever fall so far that he cannot or she cannot follow Jesus again to become like him. And did you notice in Peter's case, we can become stronger in our relationship with Jesus so that we do not fall again in the same way. Go back to chapter 21 for just a moment and look again at verses 18 and 19. This is so very, very critical. Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Now many Bible students believe that Jesus was predicting that Peter was going to die by crucifixion. He would be arrested. The soldiers would come. They would take him, and they would lead him to the place of execution where he did not want to go. 
Tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die like Jesus. May I say to you, this is a far greater test than being asked by a few people in a courtyard if you're one of his followers. Right? This morning? This is a far greater test, brothers and sisters. This was a test that meant Peter knew, I'm going to be executed. I'm going to die on a cross like Jesus did. But Jesus said, Peter, on that day you are going to be so strong, you will not fail. But you will glorify God by remaining loyal to the end. And can you believe this? This guilt that gave way to forgiveness. This failure that gave way to usefulness. This falling that gave way to following again. Caused this man to be stronger. And on the day that he was led to his execution, he gave glory to God in an amazing way. Thomas Aquinas, a medieval thinker, said this, Our falls make us more humble and more cautious. And since being more humble and more cautious is certainly a part of being like Christ, if our falls are learned from, they can contribute to us being better followers of Jesus than we were before. Is this not amazing grace today? Is this not amazing grace today? Brothers and sisters, let's read together how Jesus restores. Join me, would you? Let's say it together. Guilt gives way to forgiveness. Failure gives way to usefulness. Falling gives way to following. My sister and her family attend a very large church in Washington, D.C. The pastor who had built that church into a large, successful ministry was dearly loved by my sister. One day he stood before the Emmanuel congregation and he said, I'm resigning from the ministry after 17 years. He said, I'm burned out and I have to take a break. You know what the truth was? He was leaving his wife to marry his secretary. The church was devastated. 
A family was broken up. And 17 successful years of ministry were tarnished in everyone's eyes. The church went on to get a new pastor. That new pastor became very well known because he eventually went on to become the president of Moody Bible Institute. But one day while Michael Easley was sitting in his office, he got a phone call. It was from the previous pastor. God had broken him over his sin. He said, I would like to come back to the church with my new wife. And I would like to apologize to the congregation. And ask Emmanuel Bible Church to forgive me. He said, I've already apologized to my children and my ex-wife and they have forgiven me. The pastor talked with the elders. They said, yes, we would like to do that. The former pastor and his new wife stood before the entire congregation. His ex-wife and children were there as well. And forgiveness and reconciliation took day took place that day among those who had sinned and those who forgave. Do you realize how rare that is? That a congregation would experience that kind of repentance and reconciliation? Now, here's the question. Can that former pastor ever be useful to the Lord again? As a pastor? I would say no. Sometimes an example is so tarnished, you cannot be restored to your previous position. But let me ask you these questions. Could he serve in other ministries outside that role? Could he contribute his knowledge to a Bible study class and help other people grow? Could he share his faith and witness to the lost, even leading them to Jesus? Could he treat his ex-wife with dignity and kindness in the aftermath? Could he begin to rebuild his relationship with his children and show them the love of Jesus? Yes. Can he be useful, forgiven, and follow once again? Yes. That is how Jesus restores. That is how Jesus restores. Let's bow together, shall we, and thank Him. Oh, God, today, 
show us the incredible heart of Jesus. I pray, Lord, today for someone who has never become a Christian before. May they understand Christians are not perfect, but what we are is forgiven. And they can be forgiven too. I pray for someone, Lord, today who has given up hope because they've failed in so many ways. May they know that Jesus Christ will never give up on them. And it is never hopeless. I pray, Lord, for someone today who is struggling because they cannot serve in a way they did previously. That means they cannot be useful at all. I pray that they will know that is not true. And there are many ways God will still use their lives. I pray today that we will rejoice in the amazing goodness, love, mercy, and grace of God. For it's in His wonderful name that we pray.